Amen. Amen. Well, God is a great God. Amen. And he's just as great as he always has been. <laughs> Thank God he's not sick tonight. He don't have coronavirus. He don't even have the sniffles. And he's just as powerful and wonderful as he has always been. And praise the, praise the Lord for our great God. Well, I want you to take your Bible tonight, please, if you will, and join me in the book of 2 Timothy, uh, chapter 4, uh, page number 1281, if you have an old Schofield Bible. And I want to read some verses here. We're kind of drawing close to a close of making our way through this book of the Bible. And so I want to just read some verses here, and I think probably maybe a couple of more uh, messages that I'll bring out of this chapter, and we'll conclude the book of 2 Timothy. I thoroughly, thoroughly have enjoyed preaching through this book of the Bible. My heart has been challenged itself and stirred uh, while moving through these verses of the Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Again, I just want to remind you we're excited about Sunday morning at 10. I encourage you to be here, come early, get a parking place up near the front, and uh, man, just, just enjoy this service, enjoy the opportunity to be together again on the property here. Uh, we are going to ask you, if you will, when you get here, to please remain in your car. Don't try to get out and start going around and dapping everybody and giving everybody fives and stuff. But probably, I'd probably like to do that, but we can't do that yet. So uh, we want to do our best to comply with the rules that have been set upon us. And at the same time, uh, you know, we still feel that the church is essential and necessary for God's people. And uh, so if you will, just remain in your car. In, in case if it's, a, it's a, an emergency, feel free to come in. However, just try, if you can, to stay in your car for the entire service. And as I said, we'll keep it short and uh, move right along as we gather here Sunday morning at, uh, at 10 o'clock. Well, let's read tonight, 2 Timothy chapter 4. And I want to begin with verse number 9, and I want to read down through verse number 15. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 9. Now, I think your uh, prayer sheet there is on the uh, website. And if you, I don't know how you do all that, download it or uh, I don't know if you write on it on the screen or whatever, throw something at it, whatever. But uh, anyway, it's there if you want it, all right? And so let's read this together. Look at verse 9. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. And Tychius have I sent to Ephesus. The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee, and the books, but especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord uh, reward him according to his works." of whom be thou ware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. Now I'm going to ask you to leave your Bibles open. I want to kind of, if I may, for just a few minutes tonight, kind of move around in these verses and just pull out some things and maybe just share some stuff that's on my heart tonight from this text. And I trust God will help us. Let's pray. Father, bless your word now. Speak to our hearts. Thank you for our choir and Brother Jerry being here tonight and just letting us be together in fellowship, uh, whether we're here in the building or just doing that by way of um, internet or live stream or radio, however it's getting done. Just thank 
thank you for letting us be together. And I pray you'd bless us now and speak to our hearts, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, for quite a while in our Wednesday evening services, we have been involved in a series of messages from the New Testament book of 2 Timothy. I've been calling this series of sermons the whole entire time. I've been calling it a manual for maturity. You know, Paul, as we have often noted while working through this book, is writing his final letter his final words to his young protege, young Timothy. Keep in mind that as we read these words, as we are making our way through this book and read the verses of this book, what we're actually doing is reading the mail of the Apostle Paul. This is an actual letter that he wrote. You see, Paul is now sitting in prison. He knows that his time on earth is drawing to a close. Paul is nearing the end of the road. He indicates that there in verse number 6 when he talks about the time of his departure is at hand. But before Paul, uh, uh, before Paul embarks from the beaches of time, sets sail on the sea of eternity, and winds up on the shores of glory, he sits down and he writes young Timothy a letter. This is a very personal letter. It's a very intimate letter encouraging young Timothy to be steadfast in the faith as well as to stand fast in the faith. You know, we all need encouraging from time to time don't we? Everybody, including myself, needs somebody to get after us occasionally and to remind us of our responsibilities as well as our accountabilities to the Lord. We too need to be steadfast. We too need to stand fast in these challenging, in these changing, in these confusing days that we're living in. But as we read this letter, there is more here than just meets the eye. We know that this word, the words of this letter were inspired by God. Now, while it is true that what we have before us is an earthly letter written from one individual to another individual, you and I understand there is far more to this than just meets the eye. You see, we understand, more importantly, this is a heavenly letter that is written by God to people just like you and just like me. You see, being inspired of God makes the words of this letter more powerful, makes them more pertinent, more practical, and more profitable to us as we live out these last days upon the earth. It is almost as if Paul, while pinning these words to Timothy in the sweet by and by of yesterday, these words are written to you and I by God living in, these na in the nasty now and now of these days. This letter is very relevant to us as we live out these days. We've been in the closing chapter of this great letter for the last three weeks now. And as we have seen, Paul is giving Timothy some great words regarding what to expect in the coming days. Last week, we looked at Paul as he talked about his, his death that was looming on the horizon. And he talked about it being a time of departure. You know, when Paul was facing death, he didn't do so as a bitter, angry, frustrated old man. These words of the Apostle Paul is not one of, of an old man that's frustrated with life, belching out his bitterness as he nears the shores of death. In fact, quite to the contrary, Paul, as he writes this letter and as, as he's facing certain death, does so with a sense of great victory and joy and serenity in his heart. And Paul tonight in these verses that I've read gets very personal with young Timothy as he writes to him revealing his heart 
about the ministry. Can I say this about the Apostle Paul? Paul was all about the ministry. You know, ever since the time of his conversion on the Damascus Road, Paul's heart was for the ministry. Maybe I could say it like this. He breathed, he, he slept, he ate, he lived the ministry. And as we approach our text tonight, Paul gives Timothy four great truths about the ministry. Now, obviously, I'm not going to get into all that tonight. I do want to talk about two of them, but let me give you the four great truths that we find in these words of Paul to young Timothy. First of all, he mentions something about the personalities, the personalities in the ministry. We're going to talk about that. He then mentions not only the personalities in the ministry, he talks a little bit about the necessities for the ministry. Then he leaves that and he talks about the adversities with the ministry. And then he concludes by talking about the victories of the ministry. It's all about the ministry. We're going to look at two tonight, and Lord willing, we'll catch the other two next week. So let's start tonight with this. Let's talk a little bit about the personalities in the ministry. Now, the one thing you and I come to understand about the Apostle Paul was that he was a people person. Paul loved people. He was in the people business. By the way, Jesus loved people. Jesus was constantly involved and constantly interacting in the lives of, of other people. In fact, can I tell you this? It was people that brought Jesus from heaven down to the earth. The whole reason Jesus left heaven and came to the earth to begin with is because Jesus loved people. People just like you and just like me. You know, you and I ought to love people as well. Y'all pray for me. We ought to love people just like Jesus loved people. And we ought to love, uh, love people like Paul loved of people as well. You see, Paul understood something about the ministry, and that was this. The ministry was not only for people, but the ministry was by people as well. In fact, if I've got them counted correctly, beginning in verse 10 and going through the rest of this book, Paul mentions 17 different people that he encountered in the ministry. You see, Paul understood something about the work of God, and that's this. It takes people to accomplish the work of the Lord. Wise indeed is the pastor who understands his limitations, and he enlists people to help him to do the work of the ministry. Boy, I want to tell you tonight, I thank God for the people in our church who helped me in the ministry. Can I tell you something about Woodland Baptist Church? This, excuse my English, this ain't a one-man show. In fact, if if it was, we'd all be in a big world of hurt tonight. I thank God for all the people who work behind the scenes, for all the people who labor with me here in the ministry of Woodland Baptist Church. Can I say this? Woodland Baptist Church would really struggle greatly to carry on were it not for people who assist me and help me in the ministry. It takes a lot of people to carry on the work of the ministry of Woodland Baptist Church. Years ago, Brother High said something like this. He said, don't use your people to build your ministry. He said, use your ministry to build your people. And seemingly Paul used people to uh, use the work of God to help build the people of God. 
17 people he mentions as he closes this personal letter. By the way, I don't want to talk about all 17 of these personalities tonight, but there are three personalities that we find in this text tonight that I'd like to lift out for just a moment. Because as you and I labor for the Lord in the ministry, rest assured we're going to meet these three people in this text. Our churches today are either have either been full, are now full, or soon will be full of three types of people. Now these three people that I want to just lift out for a moment and talk about is verse number 10, this man by the name of Demas. In verse number 11, I'd like to talk a little bit about a man by the name of Mark. And then again in verse number 11, I'd like to speak a little bit about this man by the name of of Luke. Now, believe me or not, what I'm about to say is true. We're going to encounter, as we serve God, as we give our lives to the ministry, we're going to encounter all three of these people. So would you follow me now? Let's talk, number one, about Demas. Demas. Now, I'm calling Demas, Demas the strayer. Demas the strayer. In other words, Paul reminds us that as we give our lives to the ministry and as we work for the Lord, we're going to meet people that along the journey will leave us. They will stray away. Now we read about this in verse number 10 where the Bible said, For Demas hath forsaken me. Now, if you'll notice the word forsaken there, that's the same exact word that Jesus used while he was hanging on the cross. You may remember that one of the seven statements that Jesus made while he was hanging on the cross was this one. My God, my God, why hast thou, then here's the word, forsaken me. God, why have you totally abandoned me. And now Paul, right at the end of his life, sitting in the Mamertine prison, writes about one of his very own, one of those who have labored, labored with him in the ministry, and Paul uses that same word, Demas has totally abandoned me. Now, we're not left to wonder why it was that Demas strayed, because it says there in verse number 10, he loved this present world. Can I tell you this tonight? There are going to be those who beside us in the ministry labor, but will eventually turn back to the world. You know, I don't think that happened overnight. I think it was a process. Like I preached Sunday morning, it happens one step at a time. I think it kind of worked like this with old Demas. At first of all, with Demas, it was all Jesus and no world. And then it moved from that step to this step, mostly Jesus and partly world. And then it moved from that to this, half Jesus and half world. And then it moved from that to partly Jesus and mostly world. And then it finally concluded with this, no Jesus and all world. It was a process in Demas' life. And Demas strayed from the Apostle Paul. We will all encounter those along the journey of life, along the journey of our faith. We're going to encounter those like old Demas who are going to be strayers. You know that song, I've decided to follow Jesus? And maybe, and it goes something like this, the cross before me, the world behind me, or the world behind me, the cross before me, whichever way that goes. Uh, no turning back. No turning back. An old demon's probably saying that song as they had those meetings on street corners and synagogues and different churches, you know, the, the world behind me, the cross before me, 
No turning back. No turning back. But in the final analysis of Demas' life, his song probably went like this. The cross behind me, the world before me. I'm turning back. I'm turning back. I think as Paul wrote these words about this strayer by the name of Demas, I think he did so with hot tears coursing down his cheeks. You see, old Demas shirked his calling. Old Demas shunned his companion. Old Demas shamed his Christ. Old Demas, he shattered his crown. Yes, sir, Demas was a strayer. Boy, I think about it in my own personal ministry. Look, I'm not even worthy to unlatch the shoes of the Apostle Paul. Good night. Not even in the same area code, zip code, or the same country limits of the Apostle Paul. But I tell you, I sure have been hurt along life's journey by those who have strayed. I think about those who came into church and, man, it looked like they were on fire and going to help us and work hard, and then eventually the first thing you know, they've turned back to the world. Oh, let's be advised tonight as we serve God in these days, there are going to be the strayers like Demas. But next we read in verse number 11 about another one of these personalities. Not only Demas the strayer, but now in verse 11 we read about old Mark. And I'm calling Mark, Mark the swayer. The swayer. Now what do I mean by that? Well, old Mark swayed back and forward. Mark was one of those who was in, then he got out, and then he got back in again. Yeah. You remember the story when Paul and Barnabas were on their second missionary journey and, man, they're excited. And old John Mark, John Mark joins them. And, boy, they're excited about the ministry and they're going to different places, preaching the Word of God. And, man, souls are getting saved and churches are being established. And, by the way, there's a lot of opposition. Anytime you're doing something for God, you might as well expect the devil to move in opposition against you. And there was a lot of opposition. And somewhere along the way, old Mark either got homesick, he became afraid, or he got cold on God. But he left Paul and Barnabas right in the middle of that first missionary journey. Well, I got to tell you something. That didn't set well, though, Paul. You see, Paul was a man who could not stand three things. Number one, he couldn't stand liberalism. No, sir, if you didn't dot your I's and cross your T's theologically correct, Paul had no use for a liberal. By the way, I don't have any use for a bunch of nice liberals. Do y'all? I really don't. Liberalism. He, he couldn't stand laziness. Anybody that was lazy, he could not stand it. And then to stay with my alliteration, can I say this? He couldn't stand lacy drawers. He couldn't stand cowards. I mean, Paul was a man's man. He was willing to die for Jesus if need be. In fact, he is getting ready to. But old John Mark, he ran. That's right. And then you know the story. When they started out on that second missionary journey, old Paul said, let's go, Barnabas. Barney said, man, I'm grabbing my bags. Let's go. He said, by the way, Paul, I'll get Mark. He can go with us. Paul said, nuh-uh. It's in the, in the Greek now. Nuh-uh. He said, he ain't going with us. He said he turned back from us a while back. He said, we got no use for somebody like that. He ain't going. Barnabas said, oh, yes, he is. Paul said, oh, no, he ain't. And, man, they got in a heated debate about whether John Mark was going with them or not. By the way, here's what we read about this over in the gospel, the book of Acts chapter 15. And the contention was so sharp between Paul and Barnabas that they departed asunder one from the other. And Barnabas took Mark 
and sailed to Cyprus, and Paul took a guy by the name of Silas, and they departed as well, being recommended to the brethren under the grace of God. So here are two individuals, two good men, who, who got divided over a quitter, over a swear. You see, John was in, then he got back out. You know something, along the way of the ministry, along the journey of our faith, our walk with God, we're not only going to meet those strayers that are going to quit and go back, but we're going to meet those swayers who get in, they get out, they get in, and they get out. And that's the, pretty much the story of old John Mark. By the way, can I say this? I think he eventually got it right. Because right here at the end, Paul says this about it in verse number 11, Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Boy, thank God for old Mark who eventually got straightened out. I mean, in, out. We're going to see that. In and out, up and down, on and off, cold and hot. Brother, we're going to see all that because we're going to encounter the swears in the ministry. But then look again at verse number 11, and I like this one. There's Luke. Now let me say this. If Demas was a strayer and, 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 and Mark was a swayer, let me tell you what old, old Luke was. Luke was a stayer. That's right. Paul said this, only Luke is with me. Now, it is true there'll be those who will break their heart, break your heart, and turn back to the world. Boy, I'm afraid, I'm afraid our church, our church rolls are full of people who have strayed. Our church rolls are full of people who will sway. They get in and get out, and it's just a constant moving in their life. But can I tell you this? I sure thank God for those who will just stay. Paul said that Luke is with me. Thank God for the stayers. You know, we know that Luke wrote the uh, book of Acts. He wrote the gospel of Luke, and then he wrote the book of Acts. And through the first 16 chap 15 chapters of the book of Acts, we, we read about Luke, and he's writing in the third person. And he's always saying they, or he's talking about them, or he's talking about him. He's always writing from a, from a distance. But in Acts chapter 16, the him, the they, and the them changes to the us and the we's. In other words, what I'm trying to say is, in Acts 16, old Dr. Luke joined up with the Apostle Paul. And from that day till the final day of his life, guess what? Luke was a stayer. Now, when you move through the rest of the book of Acts, you'll find out that Luke was right there during the trials. I mean, through all those trials that Paul had to go through in the book of Acts, Acts 23, uh, Acts 25 uh, with Felix, Acts 26 with Festus, Acts 26 with Agrippa, all those trials, Luke was right there with him. You know why? He was a stayer. He was there in the trials. In, in, in chapter 27, in that terrible tempest, Luke was with him. There on the island of Melita, in the time of terror, when the snake fastened onto the hands of the apostle Paul, Luke was with him. And now in the time of Paul's transition, as he's getting ready to depart this world and move to God's world, Paul says this, Luke 
is with me. Boy, aren't you glad? Hey, can I say I'm glad tonight for those who will be there in the trials, for those who will be there in the tempest, for those who will be there in the terror, and thank God for people that will be there in the time of the transition as well, the stayers. Amen. I like what Paul said in Philippians 1.5 when he wrote about that crowd over the church of Philippi, and he said, I thank God for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Thank God for that crowd that'll get in on the first day and they don't stray and they don't sway. Bless God, they come to stay. Amen. I'm preaching like this place was full tonight. But we need some stayers in these days. Amen. We got enough of these swayers. Enough of these strayers. Unto God, why don't you make up your mind? You're going to stay a while. Amen. 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 I got an amen on preaching right now. Stay a while. Yes, sir. Well, I appreciate the fact that in our church, our church has got a history of, of the longevity of its members. We've got folks in our church that have been here for 65, maybe some for 70 years. Thank God for those who've been here 40 years, 45 years. I mean, come through the storms. I mean, through the times of when things were hot here and, man, revival, and then times of the cold times when it seemed like... The Lord had just walked off and left the place through the battles, through the church fusses and through the splits and, and the, through the splinters and through the ups and the downs. Hey, but they came on that first day and they made up their mind they're going to just hang around a while. And I just want to say, I thank God for the stayers tonight. Thank God for the Lukes who are right there with you to the very end. Amen and amen. I'm talking about the personalities in the ministry. Hey, what are you tonight? Are you a strayer? Is your heart getting cold on God? You find yourself singing this, you know, it used to be, used to be all Jesus and no world, but now are you to the point that it's partly Jesus and mostly world? Are you one step away from that no Jesus and all the world? Are you a strayer? What about this? Are you a swayer? Hey, why don't you make up your mind to be a stayer. Well, I'm moving now. Look again in our text. Not only does Paul talk about the personalities in the ministry, but can I say this? If you'll jump down now to verse number 13, Paul talks about the necessities for the ministry. The necessities for the ministry. You see, Paul knows that his life is all but over. In fact, in just a few days, his life is done. But if you'll notice there in verse number 13, Paul writing to Timothy says, Hey, Timothy, I need you to come. Verse 9, do thy diligence to come unto me. A little bit later in this chapter, verse 21, he said, Hey, Timothy, get here before winter. And by the way, on your way here, there's some things that I need. On your way here, there's some necessities. Timothy, I need you to go by the home over there of Carpus, over there in Troas. And I need you to go by there and pick up... Evidently, when Paul was arrested this final time, it all happened so quickly. He was arrested. He was tried. He's condemned to die. It all happened so fast. He couldn't get some of the necessities that he needed for life. So Paul says, hey, Timothy, go by Carpus's house over there in Troas, on your way over here, and I need you to pick up three things for me. Now look again at verse 13, here they are. He said, the cloak that I left at, at, at Troas with Carpus. Hey, Timothy, bring my cloak. Then he said this, hey, Timothy, verse 13, go by over there and get my books. And then Timothy, hey, hey, Timothy, don't you forget, 
In fact, if you forget the cloak and you forget the books, Timothy, whatever you do, don't you forget, especially you grab the parchments. Now, what does all that mean? Well, let's just break it down for just a moment. First of all, he said, I need the cloak. That's because he has physical needs. He's sitting there in that old Mamertine prison, that dark, damp, dismal place that he's in. It's cold. I mean, Paul is, is, a, is, a, is freezing there in that, that cold, dark climate. Boy, that cloak was that heavy outer garment that would keep the cold and the moisture out as he sat there day by day. Now, to me, I mean, that seems to be such just an insignificant thing. Why would the Holy Spirit even waste his time by putting verse 13 there, hey, go by Carpus's house. Timothy, I'm freezing to death in here. It's so cold and damp. It's getting in my bones. Timothy, get my cloak. Why would the Holy Spirit put something like that in the Bible? Well, it just reminds us that God cares about the physical needs of our lives. May I just remind us all in these days when people are losing their jobs and many people are struggling, can I just remind us all that God has promised to supply the physical needs of our life as we live for Him? May I just remind you that there's a verse in our Bible that says this, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. May I just remind you, there's a verse in our Bible, Philippians 4.19, that God shall supply all of our need according to His will, His, uh, His, uh, according uh, to His will and glory by Christ Jesus. God will take care of His own. Where God guides, He provides. Where He leads, He feeds. Where He directs, He protects. Hey, Timothy, go by and get my cloak. I need something to keep me warm physically. But he said also, Timothy, while you're there, grab my books. Now, if that cloak represented his physical needs, those books represented his intellectual needs. He says, Timothy, stop over there, get my cloak, but be sure, hey, get my books. Now, that's interesting to me because we know that Paul is getting ready to die. He's at the end of the road. His time on earth is short. In just a few days, he'll meet the Lord, the righteous judge. But even in the very last hours of his life, he's still wanting to read. He's still wanting to keep his mind sharp. He's still trying to learn. He's still trying to keep his mind stirred. He's wanting to expand his knowledge even though he is about to die. He is wanting to read. He's wanting to keep his mind engaged. Or can I say it like this? He wanted that coat to keep him warm physically. He wanted those books to keep him warm mentally. Well, I want to tell you something, folks, as we live out these last days, keep your mind sharp. Amen. Hey, keep your nose in the in a book. I love I don't know about you, but I love to read books about history and Man, I'm captivated by the stories of history. And I find things as I read uh, various books, and I'm, I'm engaged in about two right now, but I find things as I read books that I can use for illustrations during sermons from time to time. Hey, don't ever, don't ever get tired of reading, engaging your mind, broadening your, uh, broadening your horizons. Hey, stirring up your mind. Keep your mind warm. Re by the way, read the right kind of books 
but keep your mind warm. So he wanted that cloak to keep him warm physically. He wanted those books to keep him warm mentally. But did you notice there in verse 13, he said, Timothy, if you can forget the rest of that stuff, whatever you do, especially bring the parchments. Hey, could I preach for right here just a minute and I'm done? But Paul said, Timothy, please, please don't forget my Bible. You see, those parchments, that's all that Paul had. We know that this time they didn't have New Testament. All he had was some scrolls, some parchments there with Old Testament writings on them. But Paul said, hey, if you do forget the coat, if you do forget the books, whatever you do, Timothy, bring me my Bible. Timothy, I'll tell you something. That book's not only good enough to live by. Thank God my Bible is good enough to die by. Now, I'll tell you something. I know in our day there's a push to get rid of the Bible. In our day, there's a push in our nation to get rid of the Bible, to minimize the Bible. But I'll tell you what's even sadder than that. There's a push in our churches today to try to minimize, to get rid of the Bible. I mean, we're trying to do everything under God heaven today, but give people the Bible. They're telling us don't use Bible language. Don't use Bible words like saved or regenerated or don't use Bible words like sanctification. That's a turn off to this seeker friendly crowd. Hey, I'll tell you something, friend. I didn't turn them on. I didn't try to turn them off. I'm going to keep on bringing the Bible, preaching the book, using Bible language. God didn't promise to honor our contemporary language, but God said, I'll honor the book. Bring me my Bible, Paul said. Oh, God, help us in these days. We're trying to do everything but give people the Bible. We've so adopted the world, the mentality of the world, that we're now trying to become like the world to reach the world. We put our pulpit on wheels and we roll it in and out off the platform, stick it over in a corner somewhere. We have drama, dialogue, rap, contemporary music, strobe lights, fog lights, trying to reach the world. And the average service on Sunday morning is no different than what you see going on in the average nightclub on Saturday night. But I'm here to tell you, if we're going to reach people in these days. Bring me my Bible. Amen. We've got to have the Bible. I'm telling you, it's the Word of God that'll get the job done. It's not what I say or what I think. It's thus saith the Word of the Lord. The Bible will tell you what's right. It'll tell you what's not right. It'll tell you how to get it right. It'll tell you how to keep it right. Timothy, bring me my Bible. I need something to keep me warm spiritually. Thank God for the Bible. Bring me my Bible. If you want to know about the lilies and the roses, read the books of botany. But if you want to know about the lily of the valley and the rose of Sharon, bring me my Bible. If you want to know about the ages of the rocks, read the books of geology. But if you want to know about the rock of ages, bring me my Bible. If you want to know about the stars and the planets and the galaxies, read the books of astronomy. But if you want to know about the bright and the morning star, if you want to know about the sun of righteousness, bring me my Bible. The Bible will comfort you when you're down. It'll clean you when you're dirty. It'll calm you when you're doubting. It'll cheer you when you're distressed. It'll convict you when you're defined. It'll change you when you're delivered. And thank God, it'll carry you when you're departing. Bring me my Bible. Amen. Give me something to keep me warm physically. 
Give me something to keep me warm mentally. But greatest of all, Timothy, bring me something that's going to keep me warm spiritually. And ladies and gentlemen, in these cold days when we got a government that is trying to tell us that church is non-essential, that's trying to tell us that old-fashioned worship is no longer needed in America, bring me my Bible. It'll keep me warm spiritually in these dark days. And I'll say it myself, amen and amen. The necessities for the ministry. Let's pray.